0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success.
1: And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome, welcome to our Monday, August 6th, 2018 edition of Invest Talk. And the big question is, why are you here? Why are you listening? Well, you're listening because you're trying to improve your knowledge, to get better at making financial decisions. And I know it's called Invest Talk, but being successful incorporates a lot of good financial decisions. Okay? And you can make the best investment decisions in the world. But if you make poor finance decisions. Spending. Earning. Etc. Decisions. You're going to still be in a bad place. So our job is to. Get your financial picture on course. In any way we possibly can. Now your. Questions, your financial investment questions typically, are going to drive today's agenda. And it's Monday, so some of you may have had a question come to mind over the weekend. Uh, Maybe you're at a summer barbecue talking to a, a friend or colleague or family member. And it brought you to some type of a conclusion or put a question in your mind. And maybe we can test that conclusion. Maybe we can answer that question. And as always, our phone lines are open for you to give us a call. 888 chart 888 That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, as usual, we are going to do everything we can to try to improve your investment strategies, your financial knowledge, and your overall decision making. And I fully expect that this hour can be a valuable learning experience for all investors, whether you're beginner or seasoned. But ultimately, how much you get out of it has to do with your feedback by calling us, maybe sending us a message, asking us a question, and then taking whatever you learned today and applying it to your everyday life. Now before I get into the various topics I will touch on in today's program, I do want to put out a quick reminder for Northern California listeners. Steve Peasy will be in San Jose August 29th, end of this month, for appointments with listeners and doing portfolio reviews, no cost. Now you will be uh, you will not you will not be sure your portfolio is properly configured, allocated, diversified until you really have a professional, sit down and analyze your portfolio both today and your strategy going forward. Space is limited, so you can register right now for August 29th on investtalk.com to meet with Steve in San Jose, California. All right, what's on tap for today's program? Now, I'll preview my talking points in a few minutes, but I can tell you that I've got a great story that can teach you how to avoid five big financial regrets. This is coming up after we take a caller question. Now, this contribution is from a listener who called in to our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART.
0: Hey, guys. I was wondering if you can go over how you factor in the uh, company's growth size uh, year over year or even quarter to quarter to determine a uh, share price. Thank you very much for your time. Love the show.
1: All right, now, uh, a quick and dirty valuation metric, uh, my grandfather loved this one, which was the growth rate of a company in earnings multiplied by its earnings per share. So if it made $3 a share going forward and it's growing 20%, well, it's a $60 stock. Now, that's very quick and dirty. Uh, it's by no means uh, 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 the holy grail of valuing a company by any means, but. It's a good starting place. Uh, And then when you get into more sophisticated analysis like um, discounted cash flow methods, things like that, the growth rate is very, very important uh, to valuations. And that's why when you see companies that are fast growers suddenly go from, say, 70% growth to 50% growth or 40% growth, their stock price plummets. Or at least goes down depends on your definition of plummeting, but definitely goes down uh, dramatically. And the reason is because suddenly uh, valuation based on seventy percent growth looks very different than valuation based on forty percent growth. Okay. So how do you incorporate valuation? How do you predict value? Or, or, or sorry, growth rates? It's very difficult. Obviously, you can go back and look. Uh, how that value, how that growth rate matters in conjunction with other aspects of the company, are or, 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 are difficult really to apply. You know, two, two companies growing at fifty percent earnings growth year over year can mean vastly different things. One can be coming out with a product or have come up with a product that is industry beating, uh, industry disruptive. And they're massively taking market share in an industry that historically doesn't have fast growth. And then there's sectors like the maybe the chip sector, for example, which the whole industry is growing, but is also very cyclical. And they're just moving up and down along with the cycle and that is to me a lot less valuable because i know that if the industry takes a hit or the economy takes a hit it's going to go right along with it so the first question i ask is where is that growth coming from is it just a rising tide lifting all boats or are they coming up have they come up with a particular product or service that is world beating and taking market share from everybody. Okay, so that's number one. Then I look at, a lot of people look at sales growth. I go, uh-uh, I don't care nearly as much about sales growth as I do about earnings growth. Look at Tesla, for example. They have great sales growth, but their business is an atrocity. An atrocity. Look at, uh, movie pass which is uh, let's see H-M-N-Y is the parent company Helios and Matheson or something they're about to go bankrupt but their revenue growth is through the roof well their business model is terrible so always side with earnings growth over revenue growth so I hope that helped uh, you can go a lot deeper I could really talk for an hour on, on growth rates but that should be your, and what I try to do is give get an overarching understanding of how to look at companies, analyze companies to understand whether it's a good investment both in the short term and the long term as well. So I hope that helped. Thanks for the call. Great question. I like those broad questions. Now at each stage of a person's life, whether you're, you're, you're an adult person, that is, there can be a realization of certain regrets. Maybe a relationship not pursued, perhaps there may be a job you shouldn't have turned down, or maybe a job you should have left earlier. Maybe you've been making a lot of financial or spending mistakes. Well, that person from your past is probably long gone. But if you're suffering from these regrets, it may make it easier if you visualize those kinds of mistakes so you can take corrective action going forward. So I'm going to give you a list of things you can do that will help you get past those regrets. Number one is not starting an emergency fund. And this is common. Most people don't have an emergency fund. Most people are living off of living paycheck to paycheck, and you should have six months or so, maybe nine months, of cash in a separate bank account to cover unnecessary expenses. So start now, start building that, and create a plan. It's really what you need to do. If you don't, ha- you're not going to go from having a, an emergency fund today and in a week you're going to have an emergency fund unless you win the lottery. Just the way it is. So have a plan. What's your goal? Is it $5,000? Is it $20,000? Is it $100,000? What is it? And how do you get there? What expenses can I cut? Where can I make more money? Number 2, borrow a bigger borrowing a bigger mortgage than you can afford. And this is very obvious. This is this is common. You know, the bank says you can borrow $700,000. So what's your budget to go buy a house? $700,000. Well, odds are, you really can't afford $700,000. 500000 is probably more realistic. Probably fits your budget better. Probably is more aligned with your long-term goals. So when you're shopping for a house... Make sure that you don't just take what the bank is telling you you can borrow, but figure out what the mortgage rate is, or the mortgage payment is. What's the potential tax that you'll be able you're going to be spending on a yearly basis or a monthly basis? What about homeowner's insurance, HOA, cost to fix the house if things go wrong? All those need to factor into your budget for your home. So use a mortgage calculator, understand the true cost of ownership, and put that into your budget, and then align the price target that you're going for for a home with that budget, not just based on what the bank is willing to give you. And then when you go shop, don't fall in love. That's the worst thing you can do. And that puts you bidding up the price and making bad decisions, see many houses, sit down, think about it for you know, a certain amount of time, don't rush into a decision. Number three, borrowing against your IRA, that's simple, don't do it, <laughs> you figure out another way to go. Not consolidating credit card with a personal loan, that's something you should probably think about if you're continuing to pay 15, 20% a, a month on interest, and then not refinancing your student loans you can you should be able to look at those on a regular basis. So, avoid these financial regrets and you'll save money and be prepared for the tight spots that happen in life. And when you realize that you are ready for professional help managing your money, growing your assets, hope you accept my invitation to get in touch with myself or Steve. You can call our Dana Point office in Dana Point, California. We live in Southern California. I live in Laguna Beach. Our office is in Dana Point and this is this, we but we service people all over the country. So we can do Skype, we can do FaceTime calls, we can just do regular phone calls. In today's world, it's pretty easy to get in touch and get help. So if you need help understanding all this, send me a message through investtalk.com. Now, today's main talking point is red flags that indicate the possibility of a real estate market crash. Now, the housing market is hot, prices are up inventory is down even though it started to rise a little bit recently depends on your market but we're going to look at that also time permitting i have some other ones as well the meal kit war i think this is an interesting one to look at and really understand because there's so many players and some are struggling some are not and it's a good lesson in analyzing an industry No matter how small or niche it is, there are industry dynamics you need to understand when you're investing in companies, especially a fast-growing one like this. This is a good example of rising tide lifts all boats, but you know, can you sustain the growth without profitability? Then next, we're going to talk about what sectors beating the most in this earnings season. And then lastly, if we have time, how's China doing? Uh, Their market's down, we're going to talk about why that is going forward, and what that means for our markets, and maybe what that means going into the back half of the year. Now today's market was up slightly. Modest update, although the Russell, the Russell 2000 was down about a half a percent today. Not a good showing there, Uh, I still think we're we're reaching towards a market top where it finally tops out. I'm not sure, but certainly the back half of the year is likely to be more rough than the first half of the year. Think of February. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you'll subscribe to our Invest Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Then please listen, rate, and review. Please tell your friends about all our Invest Talk platforms radio, podcast, live web stream, uh, via YouTube, and of course, investtalk.com. So give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888 99 Chart.
2: Thanks for listening to Invest Talk. Have you subscribed to the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play? Please do. Then listen, rate, and review. This helps us improve our Invest Talk programming. And now, Justin's here and he's taking your calls live, 888 99 chart.
1: I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about Broadcom, ticker symbol AVGO. It fell almost 15% today. And I was wondering if you thought this might be a good time to pick some up once a little strength came into it. Yeah, so if you could talk about that, that would be much appreciated. Love the show. Have a great day. All right, he's looking at Broadcom. Broadcom uh, is the symbol is ABGO, designer of analog integrated circuits for telecom, industrial, automotive, and computing markets. One of the largest telecom companies in the world, about an $89 billion market cap, enterprise value about $103 billion, so they got about $10 billion in debt. Uh, net debt, which is, you know, for the size of company, not really a lot, uh, to be frank, which is good. Uh, You know, it's an industry that is capital intensive, so they're certainly going to need some debt or probably use some debt, Uh, but it's also a cyclical company, and that's what worries me, and I I see that. Uh, I see the the chip sector kind of topping out, and uh, their their chart doesn't look hot, let's just say that, Uh, and that worries me the most. Uh, certainly a good company. I love the company. Uh, we, I think we have some Broadcom bonds for uh, some of our uh, income-focused accounts. So we, we like the company overall. But do we like the stock? It, here is the big question. And I'm going to say no. It's It's trending bearishly. It's consolidating bearishly. It has bounced from that drop, but it hasn't bounced with conviction. And that tells me that you know it's it's probably going to be it's probably going to be in a downtrend for a little while, okay? So just be aware of that. Uh, keep it on your watch list. You know, it's a company that is growing its sales about 20% year over year. Revenue is growing at 32% year over year. But that's down. In January 2017, they grew earnings by 51% year over year. So. Revenue and sales growth is decelerating, yield about 3.2%. If I could get this back below the one, let's see, what level is this? About the 150 level, now it's at 217. That's when I would think about it. About the 150 mark is when I go, okay, I'll think about picking up Broadcom again. But until then, I would stick with uh, your keeping on your watch list and staying away from it until. The next downturn kind of uh, abates. Eight 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 nine nine chart. 888-992-4270 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about a half hour left. Let's talk a little bit about real estate, and uh, just like anything, any any asset class, it goes through its cycles, and we certainly saw a down cycle, or shall it say, so up cycle from most of the 90s, which wasn't a, a huge upcycle, but it, it trended higher and really peaked out uh, from in about 2008. Right, You had a bottom in 1990-ish, in 2008 it peaked out. Uh, dropped pretty precipitously, and then the Fed started printing money, pushing interest rates down, and pushed asset prices up, and it really started to take off in 2011 or so, It's when the market started to, to, to really gain some traction and this is all driven by loose liquidity. We've talked about this before about how the economic cycle and the the business cycle is really driven by the credit cycle and interest rates being lower has given a been a boon to real estate prices. Now, how can you tell when prices have peaked? Well, typically real estate interest rates tend to hit their highest point after land values peak. So you'll You'll probably see prices of real estate peak before you actually see interest rates peak, and part of that has to do with the Fed. You know, uh, in what was it, Bernanke said in two thousand six seven that the subprime problem was contained, and they continued to raise interest rates because they didn't think it was really a big problem, a systemic problem, and it turned out it was. So it just shows that the Fed doesn't really pay too much attention to real estate prices. It doesn't really become a big problem for the credit markets for a couple of years. Okay. Now, default rates. Default rates between 1980 and 1985 spiked by almost 300%. And you saw really the the downtrend into the late 80s of prices so default rates tend to precede downturns in real estate now foreclosure nationwide foreclosure rates continue to, to be down but if you look at certain subsets of markets like new york foreclosure foreclosures excuse me have now reached an 11 year high so you're starting to see them tick up then there's legislation that can be a factor, and certainly the Trump's plan. Some people say it's bullish for certain parts of real estate, especially commercial real estate, but it's probably negative for residential real estate. And then condo sales; these are important. These tend to be a, a signal to the market, and you saw. Sales of total, total condo sales declined 12% in the final quarter of last year. So what I'm seeing is the real estate market is starting to show cracks. It's not super worrisome, but it's starting to show cracks. Tomorrow in the Vestock is the next recession on its way. We're in the second largest expansion in history and a session will follow. But when Steve will break down this tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I want to hear from you. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
0: Our podcast continues next. First, good reason number five for a portfolio checkup with Steve. Steve says that many portfolios he looks at are weighted in just one or two sectors. A diverse mix of market sectors is so important to the health of a retirement portfolio, Steve can help you reorganize your retirement portfolio. He can make suggestions about the sectors of the future. And if you'd like, a KPP financial program that fits your goals and your life situation. There's never a cost for InvestTalk listeners and no sales pitch or obligation of any kind ever. To schedule your one-on-one conversation with Steve, just go to InvestTalk.com and click on the InvestTalk tab and then Portfolio Review – Or you can call 888-99-CHART and follow the prompts. And now let's continue with the podcast.
2: Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where their stable investment program creates a stable income strategy. Learn more anytime at investtalk.com. Do you want to speak with Justin? He's here now, and he's taking your calls live. 888-99-CHART.
1: Hello. Uh, My understanding is that the prudent thing to do is to have 20% of your net worth into your equity of your home. 20% of your net worth should be in the equity of your home. So my question is, Is it ever okay to have more than 20% or maybe as much as 40 or 45% equity in your home of your net worth? Are there special circumstances where that would be appropriate, such as if it's your forever home that you're going to be living in with your family for the next 30 years at least? Would that make it acceptable to go beyond that ratio of uh, the 20%? Anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. Well, typically, you want to for a mortgage, right? It's 20% down in your home, and it's 20% equity of the total value of your home. Once you put that down, right? Because theoretically, you you know, five hundred thousand dollar home, you put a hundred thousand dollars down. That's 20% equity in your home. Now, going forward, that's going to fluctuate uh and because the value of the home hopefully will appreciate maybe it won't you're going to pay down the loan you're going to build equity over time uh the value of your other assets your 401k IRA and other assets are likely going to hopefully go up over time as well so as a percentage of your total net worth is is that's going to fluctuate i don't think that's something you really can control Uh, and it's not really to me a target by any means at all so i wouldn't even look at that well the to us the simple thing when it comes to long-term goals in relation to your equity in your home is just pay it off by the time you retire pay it off sooner rather than later uh there's a thought that you pay it down, and uh, or, or you don't pay it down, so you use that money and you can earn more than your mortgage rate in the markets. And that's certainly true, if you know what you're doing. But you also get a risk-free return on paying down your mortgage, hopefully faster than the 30 years, because you're avoiding, you're guaranteed you're avoiding that particular interest that you're paying. It might be three and a half percent, might be four, might be four and a half percent. Hopefully, it's no not much higher than five. And you're basically guaranteeing yourself that return when you're not paying it, right? So, I think whatever whatever uh, advice you got there is a little bit kind of myopic, because there's so much more that goes into your total net worth than just your home. And it's your the equity you have is very very hard to control except for just continue to pay down the mortgage and maybe paying more towards that mortgage. So I wouldn't think of it in that in that manner. I would just think of it as okay, I need to pay this down sooner rather than later, and definitely by the time I retire, especially if it's your forever home, like you said. Eight 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 nine nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. I want to talk about the meal kit delivery industry and the wars that are going on. And there's, obviously, you've heard of Blue Apron and Plated and Hello Fresh, etc. And it's a fiercely competitive industry, but it's also a fast-growing industry. Now, there's another example of how just because you have growth does not mean that it's necessarily a great investment. Look at Blue Apron. They're down 75% from their highs. Or from their IPO price. It was $10, 80%. Well, it was $10 IPO and now it's at $2. They never made money. When they went IPO, you had revenue growing. Now it's down 25% year over year. Why? Because it's a very competitive industry, but it's also very easy to get into. The barriers to entry are very low, right? You create some sort of a package, you can buy, you can source food from almost anywhere, package it up, market it, send it out. So that's a good example of low barriers to entry. If you watched our last webinar, you'll understand what that means. So Blue Apron's down 75% from its IPO price. HelloFresh laid off hundreds of employees last year. Albertsons bought Plated. There's a Home Chef by Kroger's. And Gobble partnered with Walmart. And the main lesson here is distribution and economies of scale. Well, who has the best distribution? Who has the best economies of scale in the food industry? Grocery stores. And this goes back to understanding the logistics. And can you logistically deliver in an efficient manner what you're selling? And the grocery stores like Kroger, Albertsons, Walmart. They already have the products. They already buy them. Now it's about, okay, how do they package them up and deliver them, but they have such large economy scale they can lower the price, not only to increase their margins or make actually make money on it, but to lower the price to the end consumer. Well, there's obviously a, a, a demand for them, they're convenient. But the idea that you're locked into a week's worth of meals all at once is kind of evolving. And you're locked in every week to that one. Maybe they can't receive the package or maybe they're out of town. It's just kind of a pain to be locked into a subscription service. So meal kits are going to survive, but they're going to be done by grocery stores. Because that's what makes sense. And in business, you'll learn over time. The simplest thing that makes the most sense is usually the best solution. There's a lot of companies jockeying for market share in this industry. But many are not focusing on the bottom line. And this goes back to once again. Revenue growth, I don't care about revenue growth. I don't want to say that. Earnings growth is a billion times more important than revenue growth. And there'll be people in this industry that figure out how to turn revenue growth into profit growth. And those are the ones that you want to get behind. But those are probably already public, like the Krogers, the Walmarts, etc. Now, as most of you know, we encourage your finance and investing questions live each weekday on Invest Talk during our radio program, live from four to five Pacific Time, but you can also Get your questions in around the clock, 24-7 on the same number, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So don't be afraid to call after hours. We'll record your call and then play it back on a, on the air later. Now a reminder, you are free to listen to any Invest Talk show at any time. We keep about a 100 recent programs archived on investtalk.com via the podcast player there. But for now... Keep those emails and questions coming in, folks. We are taking your calls live at 888-992-4278.
2: For many people, summer must seem like it's sailing by faster than ever. You want to make time to look over your portfolio, to fine-tune your portfolio. But have you been able to make that time? For Southern California listeners, it's relatively easy to make an appointment with Steve or Justin in their Dana Point offices. But for Northern California listeners, unless you schedule a Skype connection or a conference call, meeting with Steve or Justin requires a greater effort, unless they come to you. So good news, Steve Peasley has announced a second date for a free Personalized portfolio review in San Jose. It's going to be on August 29th, and like earlier dates, registration will fill up quickly. So please go to investtalk.com, roll over the investment link, scroll down to portfolio review, then submit your information to begin the reservation process. Right now, we're taking your calls live 888 99 chart. Hi, Steve. It's Carl from Philadelphia. Question
0: for you. How do you feel is a contrarian play on China right now, which is correcting their internet stocks via a ETF, KWEB? That's Kansas
1: William Edward Bravo. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. He is looking at KWEB. This is the crane share CSI China internet ETF and I hate it I <laughs> it's in a downtrend I know it's probably hit some support it actually has around 54 dollars a share uh, could we see a bounce sure but I don't don't see the the yuan uh, I I just don't see the problems in China going away. Uh, and you're, you're already, s- it's just starting to retrace the move from 2015 when this was at $26 a share and recently hit a high of 68. So it's only about 21% off a tide. It is in a bear market, but typically these get a lot worse. And my work on the Shanghai says it's going to go uh, at least another 10, maybe 15% lower so, if I'm looking at this, I don't think this finds support till about $45 a share. Now it's at $54. I think you have more room to the downside. Uh, and then you can think about it around $45 a share. So, that's my take on China in general and then China's internet sector. Uh, KWEB is the ETF that he was asking about. 888.99 chart, 888.992, 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We only have about 10 minutes left, so if you're going to get your call in, you want to do it sooner rather than later. Let's talk a little bit about about China. That's a good segue uh, with that question. And recently, President Trump has threatened to impose another round of tariffs on $200 billion of Chinese imports. Now, let me get this. Let let me start kind of broadly. Are imports going to have effect on our economy? Yes. How big? It's difficult to know. Is it going to be the same as a lot of people think of, like the Smoot-Hawley tariffs, and uh, right before the Great Depression? I don't think it's going to be that bad. Nearly as bad. And the main reason is because our economy just isn't nearly as product-driven as it is service-driven. About 80 plus percent of our economy is a service economy. It's not a goods trading economy. You might think it is. But most of our spending goes on going out to restaurants, getting our house cleaned, getting our car washed, financial services, things like that. a much smaller percentage is actually trading goods. Now, who's going to win this war? Well, what's happening right now is China is just devaluing its currency. So, granted, their products might be more expensive because of the tariffs, but then once they devalue their currency enough, That makes up for the change in tariffs. And what does that do? It strengthens the dollar. And it makes our goods, which are supposed to be benefiting from these tariffs, more expensive. Now, that's hurting the Chinese economy. But the question is, do they care? How much do they care? And it seems like they're willing to take the pain. And they're not going to give in on these tariffs, so that's why I think the Chinese economy is going to continue to go down. The stock market's going to continue to go down. Does that necessarily mean it's better for us? No, not really. That isn't doesn't mean it's better for us. You want prosperous countries throughout. Let's go to Mike in San Francisco. How you doing, Mike?
0: Oh, hey, this is Mark. Yeah, so to asked you about Pfizer. Oh, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, i I What uh, I do you own it or looking to buy it? With the tariffs, I really appreciate you uh, <clears throat> projecting, a future, attempting to project the future. That's very risky, but it's very valuable to us to give us the understanding. But,
1: well, I, yeah. anyway, I, I appreciate those comments. I'm, I, yeah, it's. I never know the future, but I just uh, I try to give my best analysis.
0: No, I, and we appreciate that because we know it, it's hard to you know to look at the future um anyway i, I mm-hmm. did buy uh, pfizer today uh pfe okay. and i just couldn't believe the cash flow I, I know they have a lot of debt but the cash flow to me mm-hmm. seems tremendous and it looks like it's breaking out uh and my, my question is to you is like would you buy pfizer today whether you guys own it or not what do you think
1: we don't own we don't own it and i wouldn't buy it because it's just over it's just it's just overbought uh and from a technical perspective into a lot of resistance uh, the, the rsi is now overbought um so I, think, I just think that you're buying into an overbought situation. Now, could it go from here uh, $41 a share and pull back into the high 30s, $38, $39 a share and consolidate and kind of work off that overbought condition and be a good buy? Absolutely. It doesn't mean that you know long-term it's a bad buy. You know, the, their, their return equity is 25%. Uh, they pay about a 3.3% dividend. I actually don't think their debt is that extreme. Uh, certainly at a high revenue growth, but earnings growth is doing well. So a long term I think it's fine. I actually like the 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 healthcare sector at this time in general, but in the near term it's definitely overbought. Thanks for the call. 88899 chart, I want to hear from you. We're going to the last segment, 888-992-4278. On
2: the next Invest Talk. Is the next recession on its way? And if so, when? Steve will analyze and report tomorrow. But now, Justin's here and he's taking your calls live. 888 99 Chart. Hi, my name is Max, calling from the Metro Detroit area. I had a question for
1: investors starting early and starting new. Uh, how important is it to implement risk management? products such as disability and life insurance before even thinking about getting into the market. Thank you. Have a great day. Depends if you have a dependence. If you are married and your spouse relies on you for income, then that's probably important. If they have their own job and they say you get disabled or you pass away, and they could support themselves and live on their own, I wouldn't prioritize it. Now, if you have a child that you need to take care of in case something like that happens, then you want to look into that. You want to consider that. You want to make that part of what you do. Now, when it comes to life insurance, and this goes for everybody out there, term life insurance Let me say that again. Term life insurance. Not universal life insurance. Not whole life insurance. You're getting duped if you buy those two things. We see so many people, especially young people. It's sold as an investment. They're not good investments. You'll do better on your own. You'll do better putting in an IRA and uh, indexing. Those are made for the insurance company to make money. Okay, So if you have dependents, only use term life insurance. Could you buy disability insurance? Sure. You do disability insurance. Insurance is made for one thing, to insure against things happening. They're not investment vehicles. Don't ever treat them as, they're going to be sold to you as. They are not. They are very poor investment vehicles. Okay, so just be aware of that. And don't buy any type of that insurance unless you have dependents that really rely on you. If you don't, you don't need any of that stuff. Maybe you need that disability just so you could live if you get disabled. Okay, I could see that. But life insurance, you definitely don't need because you're gone. There's no one else depending on you and that's just going to be the way it is. So hope that answers your questions. Let's talk a little about earnings season. We're getting through, or through most of it, Uh, sorry, 81% of companies in the S&P 500 have reported. And earnings are up 24.7% year over year. And that sounds really good, and it is. Uh, Part of it, it's driven by two things. One is the comps from second quarter 2017 are not very hard earnings that in the second quarter of 2017 were only up 3.6 percent so it was a modest earnings quarter back then and so the comps are easy to look at now on top of that you have tax cuts they was signed into law in December but most companies weren't able to put the rules into effect until midway through the first quarter. So that means the second quarter earnings season is the first one to show all of the effects of tax cuts. So when you look at them year over year and quarter over quarter, they're going to look very, very good. So be aware of that. And that's one of the reasons why I see a slowdown in the market in the second half of the year is because the comps start to get harder going forward. Now what sectors have done the best so far this earnings season? Now the telecom sector has beat by 100%. 100% of companies have beat, but only three have reported. There's only three in the S&P. So that doesn't really count. Now there's 63 healthcare companies. 97% have beat their EPS estimates. 84% have beat their revenue estimates. IT, information technology, 93% have beat earnings, and 87% have beat revenue. Now a lot of that is built in, and that's why you've seen some of those sell off, where the healthcare industry have kind of been more subdued from a performance perspective. And that's why you're seeing better moves in that sector overall. I hope that gives you a sense of the earnings season so far. That's it for a Monday, another Invest Talk radio show with your questions driving the discussion. Today's program will be soon posted to our podcast player library at investtalk.com. Thank you for listening and please come back tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein. Good night.
0: Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are principals of Klein, Pavlis and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis and Peasley Financial, which retains all rights.